Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine and your host for Off the Course, the podcast where I talk with golf course superintendents, directors of green and grounds, directors of agronomy, about anything and everything that is not their job. This month on the show, Donovan McGuigan. He is the golf course superintendent at Springdale Golf Club in Princeton, New Jersey. He is a two-time contributor to our Turfheads Takeover issue. He is also a big-time bibliophile. He has already read and listened to more than two dozen books this year. He is on a hundred book plus pace if you include audiobooks. We talk about how to balance reading with an incredibly demanding job and an incredibly demanding industry, some of his favorites, and what he tries to take away from reading. We mention, among other folks, Theodore Roosevelt, Stephen King, uh, Neil Gaiman, a lot of great, great writers, a lot of great books. You might even get a few recommendations out of this. Before we get into that conversation, a word of thanks to our sponsors, AquaAid Solutions. For more than 30 years, AquaAid Solutions has been helping turf managers around the world develop comprehensive agronomic plans to produce healthy, environmentally aware, safe, natural grass playing surfaces. They're proud to deliver best-in-class solutions for management of key elements for a healthy and sustainable plant system, and their solutions include wetting agents, soil surfactants, calcium and potassium products, and worm power turf, all of which help the end user optimize his or her agronomic programs. Incorporating Aquaid Solutions' technologically advanced active ingredients with cutting-edge equipment technology in Iments, Vrito Cedars, and Seagrow Mobile Grow Systems, turf managers are offered synergistic solutions delivering long-lasting agronomic value, improved aesthetics, and playability. Again, our thanks to Aquaid Solutions and my thanks to Donovan McGuigan. We're going to get into that conversation right after the break. Our latest episode of Off the Course, the Superintendent Radio Network podcast about literally anything about your life off the course includes Donovan McGuigan, now in his second year as the superintendent at Springdale Golf Club in Princeton, New Jersey. He had a story for us uh, in our fourth annual Turfheads Takeover issue, the December 2019 issue, about year one, lessons learned during your first year as a superintendent. And Donovan, you had some great stuff in there. Establish relationships, very important. Find local turf grass resources, review your property conditions, all the way down to just being prepared to work, being seen, seeing people, taking a step back. One thing you did not include in that great, great story, which I hope folks have read, and if they haven't, it's online, and I believe it's your pinned tweet as well on Twitter, is read. Uh, Read a lot of books. And you are here today because we are not even a quarter of the way through the year, and you've read how many books this year already in 2020? I believe I'm up to 26 or 27 right now. So you are on a triple-digit pace, which is ridiculous. (laughs) I think the first question is, you are a superintendent. You have a very demanding job, like a lot of people listening to this podcast. Obviously, you work in a very demanding industry. Now, you don't have any children at home, but even so, like, how are you finding time to read, I don't, I don't even know what it works out to, a book every three days, a book every three or four days? That's wild. I think that's about right. It's A lot of it's about balance. 
one thing that is kind of, I made a comment about this on Twitter that my number of 25, 26 is a little bit inflated too, because I do listen to audiobooks as well. And if I have the opportunity, if I'm taking a run or if I'm walking or if I'm driving to work or if I'm sitting at my desk, typically I'll have an audiobook playing in the background and I'm listening to, um, and then just kind of absorbing that as, as I, uh, as I'm working. Uh, I try to carve out at least a small amount of time each day. You know, if it's maybe a half an hour before I go to bed, you know, a lot of times I'll fall asleep holding a book. Um, that's very common for me to fall asleep with my Kindle laying on my chest. I just try to carve a little bit of each day to try to find some time to read. And then pairing that with audiobooks allows me to kind of consume like a pretty large amount of information. And, you know, on top of that, too, I still read, you know, news apps. I still, you know, peruse Twitter quite frequently. But it's really about, I found, it's just carving that time out to dedicate if you want to learn something. And then the key to it as well, I think, is to read stuff that you're interested in. Don't feel compelled that you have to read the bestsellers or that everybody else is recommending. I, I always recommend for people to read the stuff that you're most interested in. You know, go to a go to a bookstore and just start looking at topics of something. If you want to read about baseball, if you want to read about golf, if you want to read about you know, the stock market in the 1930s, like pick something that's going to interest you. And I think when you're engaged in that subject, you're going to you're going to find that you're going to consume a lot of those books rather relatively quickly because you're going to be kind of almost this insatiable crave to like, you know, consume that information. And you said you are still reading news apps, you're still on Twitter a little bit. You do have a very enjoyable Twitter account. And of course I didn't write it down. It is uh don't tell <laughs> me here. Oh, where is it? It's 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 like Mick Buckeye AT, is that right? Yeah, so it's at, at McBuckeye AT. Um, I kind of figure the MC is for my Irish heritage. Uh, the Buckeye part of it is that I am a Buckeye. I went to Ohio State. And then the AT I threw on there because I've been an active hiker on the Appalachian Trail. It's been a couple of years. Actually, it's been about four or five years. But um, I've section hiked about 700 miles of the Appalachian Trail. So that was kind of like, at the time, that was really kind of, it's not really relevant right now, but I've kind of left it, and I, I don't want to change it either. It makes total sense now, Mick, Buckeye AT. Perfect sense. So you still consume media in other in other formats, but are you a magazine guy? Do you listen to podcasts? Or at this point, is it mostly outside of news and outside of Twitter? It's all it's all books. It's all kind of bigger ideas, more researched, more reported, better written ideas than something more tangential like a magazine or or a podcast. Um, I do kind of dabble in magazines, but I would say I don't read them very frequently. A lot of times, I'll skim news. I'll look for a headline, and if it's something that grabs my attention, I'll read it. Um, I do listen to podcasts. It's weird. I, uh, with the winter, I found myself inside a lot. You know, obviously, if I'm at work, you know, and it's cold, it's snowing. I mean, we're in New Jersey. And I find that I'll listen to audiobooks, and then sometimes I'll kind of dabble in podcasts. Um, my my fiance right now, Jen, is a huge lover of podcasts, so we constantly share back and forth. In addition to book recommendations for each other, we also uh, listen to podcasts, too. I don't watch a lot of television. I would say that's probably where the biggest gap in my where maybe I find the most time to read is that, you know, I think in a, in a given week, I probably maybe watch at most, maybe one to two hours of television at most. That's, that, that was a huge difference I found in the last four or five years that by, you know, not binge watching eight hours of a television show that I could get through a book or two relatively quickly. And um, I, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. There's not too much on anymore, despite the yeah. fact that you can have a uh, hundred channels in your pocket on your phone right away and mm -hmm. unlimited cloud DVR or whatever. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's like two shows on that I like to watch and we won't, don't need to get into that. So before we kind of dive into what you're reading and what you found interesting, have you always been 
a reader growing up uh, and obviously going to school at Ohio State, great school, not too far from where we are, and getting into the industry, have you always been a big reader or is this something that as you've gotten a little farther along in life, you're like, ah, I think I need to carve out some time? Um, I'd say I really developed it when I was in high school. And um, it, I had an English teacher my senior year in high school that encouraged us to read both required reading and then she would allow us to select a book that was separate from our required reading to do like once a month for like a book report. And that was when I first started to realize that like, hey, there's other stuff out here that I can enjoy and read. And um, in that moment, I discovered one of my favorite books of all time, The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. And then also I started to read Stephen King, who's actually current my my favorite author. I know a lot of people would kind of shrug at Stephen King because he has popular fiction, but I like it because to me it's kind of like dessert reading. It's something that I just can dive into. I can enjoy it. I can kind of shut my brain off. And in the combination of having the hell scared out of me, I can also kind of scratch my head and go, that's kind of strange. That's kind of cool. And it's that kind of comes back to my point about trying to find things that you enjoy to read. And I wish that's something that maybe schools could maybe start to teach more is this idea that we should encourage people to read regardless of what it is, it's, you know, just to, uh, to, you know, there's so many great books out there that appeal to everybody. And I think it's just diving into them and finding them and finding something that you're going to enjoy. And that's kind of what happened to me in high school was that suddenly I was reading these books that I enjoyed as opposed to having to drag through, you know, anything, the classics. Like I can say when I talk to certain people, they're like, Oh, have you read this classic book? And I'll kind of be like, nah, I didn't really find any interest in reading it. I remember in high school, there were books that, you would you would read on the side when you had time, which wasn't very often. Like, and I remember reading, like we read a Shakespeare work every year. I read I read James Baldwin. I read Thomas Hardy. I read uh, I don't I don't remember who else, but uh, off the top of my head. But and that and that and that, and, and that tells you what you need to know. Like I remember these books. I still own these books. I remember reading like an Ursula Ursula K. Le Guin book in high school for a class. <laughs> But I cannot tell you what happened in whatever that book was. I cannot tell you what happened in Jude the Obscure. I cannot tell you details from another country. We didn't even read. We didn't even read Gotellen on the Mountain by James Baldwin. We read another country, which makes no sense. We read, uh, oh, who wrote uh, Cry the Beloved Country? But we didn't read Cry the Beloved Country. We read Too Late the Fallerope. And so these are books. They're great books. But I'm I'm in fifteen, eighteen years removed, and I cannot tell you one thing from these books. Whereas I'm guessing that. Because of this great teacher in high school, uh, that you can recount not only what you read, but clear details and facts and 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 themes from these books that you read in high school. Um, I find that sometimes too that like if it's a book that I start reading and I'm not generally interested into, like if let's say I I, I have this really it's something I download the sample on Kindle and I read it and then I buy it and then about a quarter of the way through the book I decide that like yeah this is just not for me. I find that if I trog through and try to finish that book. Um, like I said, later, I remember very little of the details from it, but if it's something that I'm actually engaged and interested in, I find that I'm more than likely to remember content from it, whether it's a specific quote or a specific scene, you know, it's uh, a good example I can think of is that, um, everybody read, pretty much read The Great Gatsby in high sure. school. I remember when that, the film version of that came out recently, I remember watching it and then sitting there going, did that happen in the book? And I couldn't remember because I don't remember the book. <laughs> I remember Yellow. The color yellow and and the overarching eyes, like the eyes were in advertisements and other things in that book. I, like those are two of yes, the themes sir. that I remember: the color yellow and eyes. And and like I, I can't remember the details. I've read that book probably two or three times at least since high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I can think too that like there's definitely books that you know I've forgotten a lot of the details. Um, you know, it's 
I, I, I don't have any kind of like a savant brain or anything. I don't absorb stuff. Like I can't sit here and quote like the third paragraph of the second page of this book in this chapter. But um, I think of the stuff that's really important sticks. And I think the stuff that means something to you sticks as well. And, you know, maybe in the end, that's all you really need to take from a book is something at a particular moment or a particular sense or something that you take from that book that means something to you. I think. And who was this great teacher in high school who told you to oh, read a shoot. book? for that they wanted you to read but then to also pick another book every month and just you write about that you read it you write it whatever you want oh shoot i'm trying to remember her name now like it's funny like it's the first time i thought of her name for quite a while i feel like yeah. that's, that's i'm really letting her down right now <laughs> i'll just think about it for a minute I, I i might be able to like draw it out of deep out of my brain right now but it was definitely my senior year in high school because um that was also the same time that i discovered that i kind of enjoyed writing too as well and i've kind of dabbled in that from now and then, you know, finally kind of coming to a point when I had the two, the article in this past uh, golf course industry. And and a two-time contributor to golf course industry and, and yeah. Turfhead's takeover. <laughs> this one was a little longer. This was like a five-page story that you wrote. In, in terms of the writing end of it, too, you mentioned that you're a big Stephen King fan. Have you read On mm-hmm. Writing, his beautiful, beautiful, I would say his best book? Uh, about the craft of writing I, I, and I have. It's actually one of my favorites, too, yeah. as well. Um, I think I've listened to it twice, and I've read it once or twice. It's, it's, that all kind of merges together. But, I mean, some of the stories in there that he explains, like I remember him explaining his the, the cocaine addiction and drinking that was having a big impact and how he doesn't really recollect writing a lot of numbers of books. He discovered that he was implementing his character, himself as a character, into books, which I thought was amazing. And then... A lot of his information about persistence that comes up in that book about how that, you know, that's a lesson that I think even we as superintendents can take from, like, that's not like a good example of something where a superintendent could read a book like on writing and they may not want to become a writer, but they may see that, you know, through the persistence of his wife, Tabitha, pushing him to continue to write, that could be something that if you're, you're in a struggle at work, that's a lesson that you can take from it, almost kind of like a, like a, like it's like a children's story tale kind of thing. You know, like there's a lesson, there's a moral lesson in some of these books that can be directly applied from there. And I think that that would be a perfect example of where the topic may not be online with what you're doing, but you can still draw a, a personal lesson from that. Absolutely. And the fact that in terms of writing, it, it's a lot more fluid and you have to find what works for you. Working in the golf course maintenance industry, it's a little more structured than writing by necessity. But King gets in the chair every day, I don't remember what it is, 8 o'clock or whatever, in the morning, mm-hmm. and he sits there, and he writes out X number of pages, and I think he writes for two or three or four hours every single day, like, mm-hmm. butt in the seat, like, you have to get it done. And that's something that you can apply, mm-hmm. too. Like, the golf course is not going to wither without you. It's also not going to look great without you. You need to be there. You need to have your butt in the seat or, more appropriately, probably, your shoes on, on the turf, probably. King, King King is great, I think, for that. I, I want to say that um, Neil Gaiman is somebody that I kind of caught up with uh, via my sister, actually, and he kind of holds the same kind of philosophies, too, as well, the idea that if you just continue to push, and like you said, you're in that, you're focused and in that zone, and you dedicate that required amount of time, like, that's the, the only way that you're really going to accomplish that job. You can't do it remotely. You can't do it. Um, there's no half measures. Like you have to commit yourself fully to it, and I think that that's in the same kind of sense both about writing and in our industry as well. If if you don't uh, have a masterclass subscription, he did a great like 18 part masterclass video series on mm-hmm. writing. Neil Gaiman did. 
Uh, and if folks don't know who Neil Gaiman is, uh, wrote the Sandman comic book, wrote American Gods, uh, wrote the book that became the movie Coraline, all these wonderful titles that you've probably heard of in some way. And uh, that was one of the things was you have to just keep writing. It may be in your, mm-hmm. your desk drawer for 10 or 12 or 15 years, but you have to write and you have to finish it and you have to move on to the next project, whatever that is. I would definitely add to the fact that since we're on a podcast and we're on audio, I would say that Neil Gaiman has some of the best audio books that you could listen to as well, because primarily he reads most of them and he has this silky smooth British voice that is like the perfect voice for hearing things. This book, Norse Mythology, is amazing, and I think primarily part of that is listening to it and experiencing him actually reading it completely changes, I think, the whole that book experience. And this is where you as an audio book consumer have the advantage over someone like me who much prefers paper so now you're gonna you're gonna sell me on all of neil gaiman's uh audiobooks yeah. as well <laughs> I, I was gonna joke if you could sponsor this by audible i guess but if you want to <laughs> off the course not brought to you by <laughs> no aqua aid solutions is actually the sponsor of the podcast if you skip the ad on the intro you're getting one in the middle of the podcast, and there will be one on the end as well, Aquade Solutions. Um, so in, in terms of lessons learned, you beat me to the punch a little bit on this, Donovan. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the books that you've been reading of late that have stuck with you, but also some of the books you've read of late that have had lessons applicable to your work on or off the course? Um, I read this really strange book that was recommended to me. I'm trying to remember the exact title, but I believe it's The Strange Affair at Olivetti. Um, It's about one of the first personal computers that was made by the Olivetti company in Italy, um, who were more famously known for making typewriters. Sure. Um, It ends up becoming kind of like a Cold War espionage story that relates to potentially the U.S., whether it's not the U.S. government, but um, that there was a conspiracy potentially to prevent them from developing the first computer. And if it had something to do with whatever, you know, forces were around back then. And as a, one of the early chapters where they talk about the history of the Olivetti company, um, the founder of the company made the comment that he, he knew that the person that was on the shop floor, as in the person that was working in the factory knew more than he did about the, the typewriters that he was working on. And I think that was a valuable lesson for me is that, as much as that I can drive around the golf course and consume and look at everything and see what I can on the golf course, I'm useless without my staff, whether it be my assistant, Connor, my other two assistants, Jimmy and Dave, if I don't have their feedback that they give me um, and from what they're seeing on the golf course that I trust and that they have a better view than I do, I'm not going to see everything on the golf course. And I think that's something that from that book, I took that lesson, this idea that a factory worker at an Olivetti factory may know more about typewriters than the actual president and owner of the Olivetti company. It's, it's, it was kind of staggering when I read it and it took me a moment or two to kind of like take a second back and realize like, Oh crap, like that's true in multiple industries, especially in ours. Yeah. I think almost anything, if you have someone on the line, they're going to know anything more about the actual nuts and bolts or what have you of the product than, uh, than the CEO or the president, or or in this case, uh, the superintendent or the director of, of grounds as you get on a bigger, bigger staff size. Sure, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
something else I can think of too. I read a book called uh, Let My People Go Surfing by, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name, but uh, Yvonne Kernard is the founder of Patagonia. Um, oh, yeah. He stresses the, yeah. He stresses the importance of being able to find time to enjoy yourself and do separate things. And obviously by the title, Let My People Go Surfing, you know, that he felt when he first founded his companies that it was important to, that his staff took the time to go rock climbing, to go hiking, to go surfing. And I think that there was a lesson for me in that, that, you know, whether it's playing golf or whether it's doing something separately or even just with your staff, like making sure that you take a moment to take a break away. Cause our job can be brutally stressful on people. I mean, that's, I'm preaching to the choir right now, but taking that moment to kind of take a step back and like, you know, reset your batteries and just have fun, whether it's doing something related to golf or kind of taking a step away from golf. I think that was another kind of valuable lesson. And it's, it's strange when I think of like a business, book like a book that would be about business like that's one of the few that i've actually read where i've actually felt like i can you know apply stuff to the golf course industry from there uh that's an amazing book i, I it's i never thought that a book about a uh, he formed a clothing company but also talking about rock climbing and surfing could actually end up having impacts on my professional career as a golf course superintendent it sounds like there is no real set curriculum that you follow it's not like you i know you'd mentioned a, a few things earlier like if you like sports or if you like the stock market in the 1930s, you know, dive in. There's there's not any one pile that you have, it sounds like. There's not, like, just a golf pile that you're working through. Or there's not just, like, a biography pile that you're working through. You, you t- seem to maybe bounce around a little bit more than most folks. That's, that's true. Like, I, I do have, like, I'm proud of, like, my golf library. I do have a bookshelf that's nothing but golf books, everything from coffee table sized books to, you know, fiction by, you know, uh, David Faraday or even Rick Riley. If I find a subject that I'm really interested in, I will kind of dive into it quite a bit. One of my all-time favorite books is The River of Doubt by Candace Miller. That's about Theodore Roosevelt's exploration of what became Rio Roosevelt in South America. Yes. Yep. Um, I found that on a, uh, uh, a uh, two for 15 shelf at Borders one day. And I just kind of walked in and I was like, this looks interesting. And I never realized that after he was president that he made this amazing trip through the center of South America, almost killing, almost dying in the process of malaria. With his son um, Kermit too, I think, right? Uh, I believe it is. Yeah. One of his sons. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Kermit. Yeah. It took me a second. I was like Kermit. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot one of his sons was named Kermit. <laughs> and then from that book, I got kind of got interested in just the life of Theodore Roosevelt. And then as a result, I think I've read probably six other books. I would say if there's any particular person I've read a lot of books about, it would be Theodore Roosevelt. But then like I've taken some kind of life lessons from him, you know, like speak softly and carry a big stick. Um, he was always in the big philosophy of if you believe you're there, you're, or uh, believe you can and you're already halfway there. You know, there's some simple kind of philosophies from that. But he led a fascinating life, both as president before he was president and then also after he was president. And that's kind of sometimes where if I find a topic that I'm really enjoy, I really enjoy, I'll keep reading into it. But um, I completely agree. I don't really have, like, it's a very, I have a very eclectic taste when it comes to books. Like, if it's something that just happens to fascinate me at the time, you know, I'll be like, no, oh, check this out and enjoy it. And then I also have a firm philosophy that if I get through a book and I don't enjoy it, I don't try to trog through it. I just end up saying, okay, well, I'll throw this on the shelf. Now, if I'm counting books that I finish each year, I definitely don't count that as a finished book. That ends up being just one that's kind of put to the wayside. Like my, I have, I love the app Goodreads, which allows you to track mm-hmm. You know, your books read, the books you want to read, you can create different shelves. And like my want to read shelf seems to always kind of be in this weird limbo stage of like 50 books or so. And a lot of times if I read a book that I just can't seem to trog through, 
I'll just throw it back on that once a read shelf if by some reason I am inspired to try again at some point. I'm trying to think of a book off the top of my head that I, that's on that list, and I would say probably Einstein by Walter Isaacson. I've tried that twice since I live in Princeton. I live My golf course is about two blocks away from Einstein's home or his former home, and uh, I – I just for some reason can't get through that book. It's just it's too much for me. And as much as I want to read it, as much as I want to enjoy it, I just can't seem to trog through it. The only Isaacson book I finished somehow was Steve Jobs. I have not finished Franklin. I have not finished Eisenstein. Einstein. Um, those those are great. Like I'm with you. I haven't finished them, but it's just they're great books. But there's just there's a lot there. I don't know why I finished the Jobs mm-hmm. book. Uh, Back- the Jobs book was good. I really enjoyed that. Backtracking to to TR to, to Theodore Roosevelt, if you've read six or seven books on TR, you've you've certainly read the Edmund Morris trilogy on him, right? Yes, I have the, the whole series. Incredible, yeah. mm-hmm. incredible books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing series. Yeah, mm-hmm. he actually has a book about a New Jersey native that's coming out that's already out. I think on Edison, which is kind of exciting. I'm, I am looking forward to reading that. But um, yeah, those are really great, thoroughly researched books. Anybody who loves Theodore Roosevelt who has not read Edmund Morris's trilogy, which I think started in 1979, and the books were published over mm-hmm. like 20 years, uh, incredible. Mm-hmm. It's an investment of time. I think the three between them are over 2,000 pages, but uh, yeah, correct. Well, well worth it in uh, in terms of reading about a uh, key figure in late 19th, early 20th mm-hmm. century America. Mm-hmm. They're also organized very well, too. You have this kind of pre-presidency and then yeah. post-presidency. So if you really are interested in a particular subject at that, you can dive right into it. Yeah. So with with your, I was going to bring up, because you are so close to Princeton University, one of the elite schools in the country, any recommendations that have come through maybe members at the club or uh, you've run into any professors or... or uh, students who've recommended books to you? Has your reading list expanded since you since you took over uh, at Springdale and Princeton? Um, not in particular that I can think of, but what's nice is that Princeton is home to a really great independent bookstore called Labyrinth Books. I find myself in there at least once a week. I've found books that have been on the shelf there that I never thought that I would read that I've picked up. I, just, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I want to say... I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I don't think I've had, I haven't any particular members or professors that I've run into, but um, like I said, being in this town allows me to have access to this amazing independent bookstore, which is, it's cool. But yeah, unfortunately, I don't have any recommendations from, yes, from the membership. <laughs> if they hear this, I may start getting some flooding my email box, which I'll, I'll, I'll greatly humor. <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of members who've written books that now will want you to read them. I think the same members that are that read my agronomy updates and that read my emails to the membership would be like, how about this time that you read some of something that I've written? Like, okay, I'll try it. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, without getting too deep into uh, what's going on in the world these days, just suffice it to say that there are going to be probably some folks with more time than normal uh, in the mm-hmm. in the weeks coming up. If you're listening to this when it comes out in late March. Are there any tips that you have for folks who maybe want to dive in to reading more, to uh, maybe increasing the time they take to read? Obviously, cutting out TV was a big thing for you. It sounds like the Goodreads app uh, helps you sort what you want rather than just having 12 books on the nightstand. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I think the first thing you should do is if there's a particular topic that interests you, I would start you know, browsing 
whether it is, you know, a Barnes and Noble or an Amazon website, um, you know, with eBooks, we have the ability to basically download a book pretty much instantly at this point. Um, I am, I'm a weirdly split person between digital books and actual paper books. Like I have a good, a good number of paper books. And if I really, truly enjoy a book on Kindle, I'll end up buying the paper copy, which I'm sure the authors love because they're going to get twice the royalties from me because I own two copies of the same book. Um, I think that one, like some tips that I found for reading is obviously you want to try to find a place that you're comfortable reading in. Um, you know, the bathroom is always a really great place. There's plenty of quiet and solace there. Um, I like to, if I sometimes listening to music while I'm reading helps, um, I try not to listen to like really heavy music, something that's really going to like distract me. And then lastly, I think talk with people about books. You might be surprised how many people actually are avid readers, you know, and you might get some good recommendations to them or you might get some recommendations you don't enjoy, but at least it gets you out there and experimenting and trying to learn and broaden your horizons. I know people use that phrase a lot, but just cracking open a book sometimes, I think you can find it may actually kind of provide a little bit of solace as we kind of enter into, you know, what is kind of a turbulent time with all that's been going on recently. And you might find a book that actually might, you might enjoy. You might find an author that you never knew about. And I think good reasons to go ahead and start. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, the New York Times book review is a good source for stuff, but just kind of get out there and like maybe talk to people, talk about books once you actually start reading them. And that might be a way to kind of broaden your horizons again. And they may make recommendations to you about books that you might find interesting, or, you know, or at least you, you make an attempt at it uh, through social distancing. I should probably throw in there. Sure. Uh, do you get any recommendations within the uh, the maintenance building? Are there any guys who uh, are as big a readers as you? They they'll tell you, "I read this, and and you should too." Or uh, heaven, I mean, crazier things have happened. Is there a a book club at at Springdale? Um, there actually isn't a book club, but um, my new second assistant, Dave, um, he's brought me some recommendations as well, including a book that was written by, I believe, his grandfather, which I'm kind of interested to read. Huh. Um, strangely enough, my fiance and I, since we've been together now for about a year and a couple of months, um, she and I have a book club together. It's really cheesy, but it's like our kind of cheesy, like it means something to us. And we have, like, I believe we're up to... 14 books, I think, on our little book club, and it's basically if we just happen to find a topic or a book that we both find interesting, we'll be like, hey, should we make this part of the book club? And we do, and then we end up reading it separately, and we discuss it. You know, we talk about the book, too, but a lot of times it's us just kind of finding a topic we both enjoy and then share in that kind of community of books. I'm always giving book recommendations to people. You know, whether or not people read them or not is another question, too, but I freely offer as many recommendations as possible. (laughs) Well, there may be, again, more time than uh, folks are accustomed to having, so maybe there will be an uptick in books uh, read or at least books ordered. Uh, I'll leave you with this, Donovan, and, and thank you so much for, for coming on, making some time, and, and sharing your your perspective on books and how to make it work in this industry. What are you reading now, and what is next for you? The book I'm currently reading right now, um, I've been on it for a little bit. It's called Shop Class of Soulcraft. And it's about the power and kind of benefits you get from physical work as opposed to, you know, uh, like hypothetical work, I guess. Um, The author was a motorcycle mechanic, and he explains the benefit and the, 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 how you can enrich your life through physical, actual physical work. And I think there's a lot of stuff, a lot of the principles I've read in it so far really apply to the golf course industry about how the fact that superintendents are our tradesmen in the sense that we have honed a craft over a career 
Um, it's not like, you know, we work on this and then jump to something else. It's like, this is something that we've honed and this is our craft that we've created from there. And the book kind of enforces about how that is so beneficial to yourself as a person, both as your work is satisfying, but also at the same time, it's also your job is something to where you have like a tangible physical result that you can look at. What's next? <laughs> I do have an unread shelf pretty much that's in my apartment. It's about seven or eight books. Um, usually by this time, one comes off, another one comes back on there. The next book that I'm looking forward to reading is The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. It's about the London Blitz and Winston Churchill. Um, I've read a couple of his books before, and that seems like a fascinating history book as well. Is that his new book? Yes, it is, correct. Okay. Yeah, I, I saw him on Twitter. He had uh, there was a he went to take a whole day to sign books, and the publishing house had a literal room of his books. So that's the new one about, uh, and it, it's called what? Uh, the Splendid and the Vile, I Splendid believe. Okay. This one's called. Um, I actually have. It's funny. I actually have a signed copy of that that I purchased at Barnes and Noble. So uh... <laughs> probably from that giant room of of uh, copies. <laughs> <laughs> awesome well we'll get you back on at some point i don't know when but to talk more books and uh yeah uh thank you so much thanks for talking about uh something outside your everyday life at least on the course uh donovan mcguigan he is the now second year superintendent at springdale golf club in uh, princeton new jersey and again, if you want to read something that he has written and not just take book recommendations from him, year one in the December 2019 Turf Heads Takeover issue, uh, he shared some great life lessons and uh, work lessons about your first year at, uh, at the course and your first year as the course superintendent. Well, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> thanks, Donovan. My thanks again to our sponsor, AquaAid Solutions, and to you for listening to Off the Course and the Superintendent Radio Network. Guy and I will be back with more episodes of Off the Course, Greens with Envy, Tartan Talks, and Beyond the Page. Until then, thank you so much, have a great day, and keep listening.